Okay, so I wanted to make this episode to talk a little bit about my mayor Coco who passed away when you will be listening to this episode exactly a year ago on September 29th, 2020. And it's been like a rough year for me in general, um, like going through that loss. And I just kind of thought it would be nice to make something to honor her and like talk about her and also talk about grief in general, because I think that's something that like as animal owners, a lot of us go through. So and it's also something that I feel like isn't really talked about and is kind of maybe looked upon negatively by the world in general who like aren't especially animal lovers like maybe we are. Um, Like I know I felt kind of uncomfortable being like, I need days off because my horse died because people maybe don't see that as impactful on your life as it really is so I think like it's a topic that's good to talk about in general yeah I think there's a lot of like oh well it's just a dog it's just a horse but really they're our family so it's normal for us to grieve over that yeah and I mean like I'm not a big fan of you know putting losses like next to each other and comparing and quantifying or whatever but like just to I guess illustrate the magnitude of this loss for me like this was definitely the like hardest loss of my life and I am like only 21 I haven't lost any like immediate family members but I have lost grandparents I was fairly close with you know other animals family friends people like that and just I connect so much with animals that it really is like losing a family member to me so it's just very very serious and I think a lot of people who are big animal lovers like will relate to that but maybe like the world overall in general, people who don't love animals as much might not understand that. Yeah, I haven't lost very many family members or any immediate family either, but it's always been hard for me to move past losing animals. And I haven't even lost that many animals either, realistically, but I lost both my cats, both my childhood cats within the last year. So that was really rough. They were about six months from each other. So yeah, that's, that's really, really sad hard. when you have to go through that at the same time, like two different losses kind of in the same space. Yeah. And like they were old, but it still doesn't prepare you for, for what you're going to experience and the emotions you have to work through. It's a lot more challenging than people seem to think it is if they're not huge animal lovers. Yeah, I completely agree. And I will say, I think people maybe are a little bit more understanding than I think that they are, because I I feel like I kind of have this perception of like, okay, they're not an animal lover, they're not going to understand. But when Coco did pass away, and I did take some time off from school and work and stuff like that, everyone was actually really understanding. And you know, there could have been some judgment there that like wasn't coming across to me. But nobody really said to me like, oh, it's just a horse. Why are you doing this? And I, I only did take off like a couple of days. Like it's not like I took off weeks or something, but people were really helpful. But then on the other hand, when my hamster died, which I, I was very touched my hamster, um, <laughs> but when she died in, I guess, probably 2018, maybe 2019, I remember having friends just be like, oh my God, why are you crying? It's just a hamster. So I feel like there is also like certain pets are seen as more normal to grieve over than others yeah I've noticed that too I never really thought about it but one of my friends had a rat who died just like suddenly overnight she woke up and the rat wasn't breathing and that was really hard for her but a lot of other people in her life just looked at it as like you've only known that animal for like two years what's the problem but like you do build a connection with them 
Yeah, you really do. And I don't know, I think there's just probably some issue with people judging other people's grief and having like expectations for what their experience should be when like really grief is a really personal thing that people experience in different ways. And that's okay. And it's okay if you don't understand why they're so upset or why they feel that way, but it still should be respected. Yeah, I think you should be supporting people no matter why they're grieving. And like you said earlier, there's no reason to compare it. The person's feeling what they're feeling, regardless of what you think about it. Yeah, that's so true. I guess like weird change of topic, but I guess maybe I'll talk a little bit about her in general and just like give a little bit of an overview of like my story with her just like really briefly since like this is an episode for her. (laughs) Yeah, this is kind of your episode, so you can do with it what you need to. (laughs) Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, I want it to be for you too. Like I want you to be able to you know, share things. And I know you've gone through losses, like with your cats and everything. So like, I want you to share things too, but it is Coco episode. That's true. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So I guess I got Coco on December 16th, 2015, no 2014, sorry. Years, man. So confusing. It was kind of, I got her after traumatic situation for me because I was actually leasing a, a horse previously. And that horse was kind of there was like a little bit of a traumatic situation with that where our contract was broken and the horse was kind of like basically just taken away. And I like was expecting to have that horse for a while. We were talking about buying her and everything. And then she was basically just like taken away suddenly. So for, you know, like 14 year old Genevieve, that was pretty traumatic. So <laughs> um, yeah, but right after that, that's when we got Coco. And to be honest, I wasn't really in the headspace to be getting a horse at that time because I was still really like hung up on what had happened with the previous horse. But I think my parents were just like, we really need to get her something to kind of like deal with this because I was really not doing well. Again, like people didn't understand that was a type of grief when my, you know, lease horse was suddenly taken away. Um, But people were kind of just like, whoa, what the heck? Why are you so upset? So my parents were, I think, trying to like fix it by kind of rushing into getting another horse which I did obviously want to get a horse eventually, but it was a little bit rushed. It was like maybe a week or two after that situation happened is when we got Coco. Um, But she was the second horse that I tried. And I don't know really why I I picked her because she was (laughs) biting me when I was like trying her out. Like when I was riding her, basically, she was biting me, um, which obviously is like a sign that there was something wrong. But at that time, I didn't even know that. I was just like, I guess she's mean and that's fine. (laughs) So yeah, I think again, it was a little bit rushed. Like if we had kind of taken more time and um, like looked at more horses, she probably would not have been the horse that we came home with, but that's okay because it all worked out very well in the end. So we brought her home two days after we met her. And then basically from there, the first couple of years of, of me owning her, I would just kind of go out I would say maybe like once a week or so not very often and I would just ride her and a lot of that was because there were like expectations I guess or like a norm that when you go you ride especially at that specific barn but also just in general I think there's like very few people who you know in standard traditional boarding barns show up and like regularly do anything other than ride it's very riding based so I was kind of like going along with that norm riding her about once a week I obviously couldn't drive because I was like 14. So my parents had to take me. And that's partially why I only went once a week because I was like relying on them to drive me. Um, and so that was kind of how it went for the first couple of years. And then 
in 2016, she had a pretty serious tendon injury. And that's kind of when things started to shift because suddenly it went from like, okay, I'm going to ride you once a week to, okay, I have to show up every day and like wrap your legs and feed you and clean the stall because the owner very kindly let us have a stall with like a paddock area. He gave us that like without increasing the price of board. So I had to do the self-care for that. So we were there like every day, me and my dad, basically doing all of that care. And I think that's when I kind of started to see like what's really involved in caring for a horse. Cause previously I had just done lessons and just done riding and things like that. So I didn't really know. I mean, I, like I knew theoretically, like, yeah, you have to clean the stall or whatever, and you have to feed them and give them water and give them hay or whatever, but I had never had experience doing it until then. So we definitely started to bond, I would say then, or like develop more of a positive relationship because I wasn't just showing up once a week to ride her. I was feeding her and doing basic care for her. And I was there every day just spending time with her. So that's when I started to feel closer to her. And I mean, I think that she hopefully started to have a little bit of a better perspective on me as well, since I wasn't really asking her to do anything that she didn't want to do. But I'm sure it was also kind of hard and traumatic for her because she did have to be on stall rest and kind of be separated from the herd and everything. Um, But she handled that pretty well. And it was about, I would say, maybe eight months of recovery and everything. And in the last like bit of her recovery, we started turning her out part, part of the day and we turned her out on a grass pasture. And I knew like very little about horses at this point because I was a child and just knew what people told me and didn't do my own research, which like I had a, a like access to the internet. I totally could have done my own research. So it's kind of on me, but I did not know anything about horses. And so like looking at Coco, it was very clear that she definitely had something wrong with her, probably Cushing's. Like she had a crusty neck. She had fat pads. She was crazy, crazy overweight. She just wasn't really, you know, looking like the healthiest horse, like weight wise. And her coat didn't really shed out well and everything. So like she definitely had Cushing's. It was very obvious to anyone who knew anything about horses, but I did not. And nobody really told me. So I just put her out on, you know, grass and we did do it kind of gradually. I at least knew that much. We would start out for 30 minutes a day, then an hour a day, then two hours a day or whatever. But even that gradualness, like didn't really stop the fact that she should not have been on grass really at all, especially when she wasn't being treated or managed like for her Cushing's. So she got laminitis like pretty, pretty bad. She couldn't really stand without shaking. She couldn't really walk. And it was really... I don't know, like, I feel like I'm just being very matter of fact and like, not emotional talking about it. But that's just because I've had so much time to think about it. Like it was really, it was really terrible, because she was not doing well. And the vets told us like, yeah, you should probably put this horse down like this horse is, you know, older. And this is a pretty serious issue that's going to take like, at least a year to get sound from again. So they recommended putting her down. And I think partially that was just kind of giving us an out, like being like, oh, you know, who wants to put this type of care and effort into an old horse that probably is never going to be ridden again? Like, just, you know, go ahead and put her down like it's okay. But that's not really like (laughs) what I wanted to do. Obviously, I really, really loved her and really wanted her to be happy again. And I was also going through some stuff in my personal life. My mom has a chronic illness as well. So I was kind of dealing with my mom kind of being like in and out of the hospital and 
not doing very well and Coco also <laughs> kind of not doing very well. And so I guess I kind of felt like, okay, I can't do anything to help my mom, but I can do something to help Coco. So I'm going to focus on that and I'm going to do everything I possibly can to help her get better from this. So we went all into trying to help her get better. We were soaking her hose like multiple times a day, every day for a while. She was getting like IV medications of like, I think it was steroids. I honestly don't even really know. Cause again, I was like, at this point I was probably like 16, but I still couldn't drive. So my dad was doing the things with me, which was really sweet. And my dad and I also bonded from this. So that was nice. But yeah, so it was like a really long process of being there multiple times a day to kind of treat her and she was only eating soaked hay and everything and she started to get on the Cushing's medication and I was like very strict about like she had to get the Cushing's medication at the exact same time every single day like she had to get it at 7 p.m every day so I would not even be like a few minutes off it'd be like right on the dot at seven I was like very strict about it so I was like I don't know I guess really pouring all of myself into trying to help her get better and help her get healthy again and she did, obviously. <laughs> she got better. And I don't know exactly how long it took, probably about a year, maybe a little bit longer than that before she was pretty much sound and she was able to, you know, be turned out again. And she really should have just been turned out the whole time on a dry lot because it's good for laminitis in general to, to have movement and things like that if the horse can. So like in hindsight, I wouldn't have kept her on stall rest as long as we did. But when she was better, we did turn her back out and she did have to have individual turnout because she was, she couldn't eat normal hay. She could only eat soaked hay still. So we had to have her alone so that she could have her own hay, but she, she had like horses over the fence. So that was really, really cool to see her get better. But I think, I guess things kind of changed for me, like the whole time that I was caring for her. And once she did get better, I mean, I wouldn't say she was ever back to hundred percent. She was always, you know, had, she had coffin bone rotation and everything. So she always kind of had those signs that she'd had laminitis and that things had been wrong, but I never really wanted to ride her again, I guess. Like there, there were plenty of situations where I could have gotten back into riding, but I just didn't really want to. I think because, well, a large part of it was, I think that I felt she was fragile because she'd been through so much and I was worried that I was going to hurt her and I didn't want to do anything that would hurt her, like either physically or emotionally, because she'd just been through so much and I didn't want to put her in a situation that would make her be in pain physically or have to do something she didn't want to do emotionally. So I kind of went to doing basically nothing but grooming and just kind of standing around her that's because I didn't really have the knowledge of what can I do for enrichment or what other types of training are there that don't involve riding or traditional training or anything like that so I kind of just did like what I knew from the past which was just grooming and hanging out with her and I mean I think that was good for us like we we liked being around each other I fed her treats so she liked that <laughs> and it was pretty good I know I've told this story before in another episode, I think, but, or maybe, maybe we were just talking and it wasn't an episode, but um, for a while I would just get to the barn and open up the doors and she would just kind of come out of the pasture and let herself into the barn basically. And she would go to exactly where the cross ties were supposed to be. And she would just stand there just, you know, at Liberty, but she just knew where she was supposed to go, I guess. And then I would groom her and feed her treats and whatnot. And then theoretically, when we were done, she would go back out, but she didn't always want to go back out. So <laughs> um, she, she liked being in there and getting her treats and everything. So I think I kind of started to realize that I really liked 
her liking me and wanting to be around me and not being in the situation where she didn't want me to catch her or she didn't you know want me to be around her at all like if I approached her in the past year, she might walk away or ignore me but it was kind of getting to a point where she liked me and she wanted to be around me so there was something about that relationship that was more rewarding to me than like riding had been or anything not that that you know, would exclude writing if done well. Writing can definitely be a part of a good relationship if done well. But for me at that point, it just wasn't really a part of that. So that's basically, I mean, that's basically where we got to. And then in the last year of her life, I moved her to a new barn. That was really, really great. And I would say just the perfect place for us to spend our last year together. It was just a really great pasture it had a lot of um, varied terrain and enrichment out there and it was a a great herd and they had you know hay 24 7 she was back to eating dry hay so that was good again I didn't really do too much positive reinforcement training with her really ever I did know of positive reinforcement training and I did teach her targeting a couple of tricks and things like that but I would still say the majority of the time I was there was just me still just grooming her and and being around her a lot of the time I would just stand in the pasture with her while she was eating hay and just listen to music or listen to a podcast or something and just kind of stand with her and that's what I think that's what she liked the most I mean she loved getting her treats um but I think she was really happy to just kind of chill out so I didn't really push like any type of training too hard or anything and I think that was, you know, the right decision, but sometimes in hindsight, I do wish that I had taught her more and like worked with her more with positive reinforcement than I did. But yeah, she, it was a great last year. And I guess to just like explain the way she passed away, she was doing great with like all of her conditions with Cushing's and the laminitis and everything. She was basically all recovered from all of that and just doing great, but she was starting to have minor colic episodes like once every couple of months and we didn't really know why because she had never colicked before in the past you know several years that I'd had her we never saw her colic and I just didn't see why she would be colicking because she was in the perfect environment that would set her up to not colic and we just couldn't I guess figure out what was causing it and you know we had the vet out pretty much every time she colicked even though it was minor and the vet was like I don't know it could be the weather could just be something going on I'm not sure so we didn't really know then one day I woke up and I had some some um, texts and missed calls from the barn owner and she was basically like Coco's really really down and really not doing well come out here I think maybe I was woken up by a call or something Um, so I went right out there and she was just I don't know I think I think when I saw her I just knew she was she was not doing well she was in a lot of pain and she didn't want to she didn't want to stand and she didn't want to really do anything at all and so we gave her we gave her banamine and we walked her and the vet did like a scope of her by I'm not sure exactly what it was I was kind of like distracted during it but um (laughs) the vet like you know stuck something through her like through I think it was through her nose or maybe through her mouth I'm not sure to I guess like look inside of her digestive tract and she couldn't find anything and basically she said she was fairly certain that it was a strangulating lipoma which is a kind of tumor that can wrap around the intestine and basically cut it off so she was pretty sure that that was why there was there were any tests or anything that could confirm for certain that that was what was happening 
So we didn't know for completely certain, but she suggested at that point putting her down. And I like at that point, I kind of knew in my heart that that's what was going to happen, but I didn't really want to accept that without having a definitive answer. So I spent a couple more hours walking her around and just trying to see if she could show any signs of improvement. And she didn't show any improvement. And so that kind of confirmed that it was, you know, very, very, very likely, like almost definitively would be the strangulating lipoma. And surgery was an option for her, but I chose not to do it. Thankfully, my parents are very helpful and very supportive of me with vet bills. So if I had chosen to do the surgery, it would have been okay. And my parents would have been able to help me cover the costs of the surgery. But I I knew it wasn't the right choice for her because she really hated to travel and we would have had to travel pretty far to have the surgery. And she also hated stall rest and things like that, which would have really been what she had to do after the surgery. And there also was a pretty low chance of survival of the surgery in general. I think the vet said under 50% chance of survival, even if we did do the surgery. So at that point, I thought, I would rather her go peacefully and have, you know, as peaceful as possible last moments at home surrounded by her herd and the people who loved her than going somewhere that she would be scared and, you know, probably not even make it off the operating table. So, I mean, I feel good about that choice that I made for her. And I think that that was the right decision and I've never really doubted it. So that's good because I guess I always thought like, of course she would get the surgery. Like, yes. I'm not going to say no. If there's any chance of saving her, then of course, that's what we're going to do. And, and, you know, that probably would have been the selfish thing for me to do because I really did not want her to go. Um, I really, you know, loved her and I didn't want her to die. So it would have been, you know, good for me if she got the surgery and she lived and she had, you know, several more years with me. That would have been the ideal situation for me. But I don't know that she would have wanted to go through those things even if she would recover because she was I mean I could just tell she was so tired like even before when she was really sick and the vets recommended putting her down because of the laminitis she didn't she didn't seem like she was ready she always kind of had like you know a spark in her eye she would still try and want to get better but I think she'd just been through so much and she was in so much pain I think she was ready so I think yeah I definitely think I made the right choice and a lot of people that loved her and people that loved me were there. My mom, my boyfriend, the barn owners, and a couple of boarders were there. Yeah, I was really glad that everyone was there. Unfortunately, we couldn't have our normal vet, which I would have really liked to have our normal vet. But this whole situation happened in probably, I would say, four hours or so. And our normal vet was two hours away doing another call. And so I would have had to, she could have maybe gotten there, but it would have been really, Coco would have had to wait longer. And I think once we decided that, you know, we're pretty sure she's not going to get better from this and it's time to put her down. I think we wanted that to happen as soon as possible because she was not feeling good. I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't eating. She wouldn't take treats, obviously. I mean, that's very common for colic and she just was not feeling well and she just wanted to lay down. So I think we just wanted to get that done as soon as possible. And the vet was very kind, but it was kind of awkward that it's like the first day that we met the vet and then she has to put down my horse. But 
yeah, it, it was overall, I would say a really peaceful experience. And that was really good because I've heard other people sometimes having kind of like horror stories about having to put their horse down where the horse like doesn't want to go down and is trying to stand. And so when they're given medication, they sort of have to fall. And thankfully that did not happen because Coco was very ready to lay down. So it was very peaceful. You know, I stayed with her pretty much during that process and for a few minutes after she'd passed and just sat with her. But I did choose to leave before they took the body for cremation because I've heard that that also can be kind of a traumatic thing to watch because they have to, I mean, it's a big body. They have to kind of, I think, manhandle it onto the, the truck to be able to take it away. And I've heard that that's just very unpleasant for the owners to watch. So my mom, stayed and kind of handled that part of it and I went away um <laughs> so I think that that was also probably good that I, I didn't see that part but I mean yeah that's basically that's basically it I mean that's you know pretty much what my story with Coco is and I think you know she will have a big impact on me forever because she was really the horse that showed me that it was the relationship that mattered most to me and that i needed to find an alternative way of doing things that wasn't going to be focused on force and focused on doing just like basically what i wanted to do without any thought for what the horse might want because that's just not really how relationships should be in general so i think that was you know really impactful for me and all the things we went through together, I think really helped me grow, even though they were really hard and they were really painful a lot of the time because she did have so many injuries and health issues and whatnot. But it was very worth it to get that time with her. And I think I'm very grateful for that. So that's kind of just the story in general, I guess. <laughs> I think it's awesome how much you were willing to help her with all of that. She had a lot going on. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I remember like people being like, "Oh, wow, like you still have that horse? Like she's still alive?" <laughs> yes. Yeah, you probably yeah. got a lot of judgment for that. Yeah, I mean, definitely <laughs> when she was not doing great, people were just kind of like, "Oh my god, put this freaking horse down." But <laughs> but like she, I mean, she recovered and she became became healthy and happy again and I mean, kind of like I mentioned if she had not been like putting an effort and wanting to get better then maybe I would have made a different decision but she was doing so well and again I, I don't think she needed to be put down I think it was more of like a norm that you know this horse is so old and whatnot that just you know give yourself an out just go ahead and get a different horse because this horse is going to be a big problem for you and I just did not really like that. So <laughs> I just yeah. did not really want to follow that advice. And I, I mean, there was no, no malintent there. I'm sure the vets that gave me that advice did not mean anything bad by it. They were just trying to help me. And they really did help. The one vet who treated Coco and has since passed away, he was, he was like a very traditional guy, but he was very, very good. And he knew what he was doing. And he really saved her life. Like, I think other vets that I know I'm like if that vet was treating her at this time I don't know that she would still be here today because <laughs> he knew exactly what she needed like he gave her the steroid injections and everything and really gave me I think really good advice on how to to treat her and care for her even though I really didn't 
know what I was doing. And I guess I forgot to mention, but I do really want to mention that I had one really, really good friend who helped me out with so much of this stuff because she had an older mare who has also since passed away. But that mare, I think, lived to be around 40, possibly older than 40. So she had a really good long life. But my friend Jennifer, she really helped me out a lot with, I guess, learning everything about Cushing's and about laminitis because she had gone through that with her mare as well. And she showed me like what type of hoof boots I should get. And like she would drive me to the barn a lot when my dad couldn't take me before I could drive and stuff like that. So I guess just there was really a lot of support that I was getting from people around me, especially her. And also, like I mentioned, the barn owner, you know, allowing me to have that stall without charging anymore, which was really great when we were also paying a lot of vet bills. And my parents obviously also really helping me out a lot. And my dad going with me, especially every day to take care of her. And so there was really a lot of like support from the people around me, which I think really helped me get through that too. Cause even though like we were talking about, there was some judgment or like people being like, what are you doing? There were also people who were really helping me out and helping me get through it. I think that support really was important. Yeah. And it sounds like you guys had a good bit of it too, which is really nice. Cause I don't think I would expect that if I was in the same situation. Yeah. I mean, I think being at like a average size boarding barn really helped with that too because there are just like bound to be people around who were able to help which is really great and I think like if you're at a really small boarding barn or you have them at your house or something like you do now it's harder to have that type of support like you can definitely still get it but I think as much as I don't really like boarding barns and I don't really like being surrounded by people because I like to have my privacy and like do my thing I think it was really nice to have those people around because they really did help me. Yeah, that's the one thing that's missing when you're by yourself, but <laughs> there's a lot of good parts too, obviously. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know. I did get a couple of questions, so I guess maybe we can talk about those questions, and you may have things to say about them too. A lot of them are about her specifically. Some of them are also about like the grief process, so... Okay, so somebody asked about my favorite and least favorite memory with her, which, or favorite and least favorite thing about her, which I guess is kind of two different things. I got a lot of questions kind of like asked multiple times, like the ones about like favorite memory or what was your favorite thing about her were kind of asked by a few people. So I guess I'll answer it though. I really should have like thought about these questions beforehand. (laughs) So I would like have a prepared answer, but I didn't because I just wanted to like have it be genuine and just say whatever comes to mind. So I did not think about it, but I mean, I'm always thinking about her in general, but I didn't think about this specifically, but I would say my least favorite thing about her, I'll start there because for some reason that's the easiest thing for me to answer was her age, which I know is not like her fault or even really like an inherent quality about her since like she obviously changed age throughout her life. But like, I just wish she had been younger when I met her because she was 22 when I met her, which is pretty old. And so it was just kind of kind of had to be that we didn't have too many years together, even though we definitely got a lot into those years just because of everything that happened. And I had to care for her so much and be around her. But I just wish that she had been younger and that I could have had, you know, a higher chance of having more years with her. Obviously, even young horses, things can happen. But I always find myself with older horses, <laughs> like my <laughs> horses now are older as well. And I think that's just because I just, I care so much about horses and I really just want to help them. And so a lot of the horses that are kind of in, you know, the type of situations that I also am in happen to be old horses. So I think that's just kind of how it ends up being. But 
and I love old horses. I really think they're really great and really special. And I probably will, to some extent, always find myself around old horses, but <laughs> it is hard just because you know that they're, you're not probably going to have 30 more years with them, which is sad, but yeah. So I think if I could, you know, change one thing about her, it would be the age. And then favorite memory with her. Oh gosh. I think so really, this is kind of random, but a really good memory that I have with her is I took her back to my old barn where there were like trails and like arenas and whatnot. And so I took her there to go trail riding. And then it also so happened that my old lease horse who I previously mentioned earlier who was kind of suddenly taken away was like back at that barn with the new owners who I don't like but anyways um (laughs) and they were actually able to meet which was really cute so I was able to have Coco and my old lease horse Bella who's now named Belle I was able to have them kind of meet and like take a picture of them together and it was really sweet because it was like oh this is you know two horses that are really important to me and it's really cool to kind of have that connection and have them in the same space. So it's kind of like a weird memory, but that was really, really great. And I think my other favorite memory of her was, I have a video of it too, which is really great that I was able to get a video, was when I moved her in the last year of her life to a really great barn, as I've mentioned, and she really improved a lot. She went from being really underweight to being like pretty much at a healthy weight maybe slightly underweight but like really close to healthy weight and somebody on Instagram actually said she was too fat and I was like um no but (laughs) but anyways she was doing so much better and I was able to see her in the pasture cantering around with her herd and having fun and being a normal horse and I think just that moment where I was just standing there and like watching her just do that I was like oh my gosh like everything we did was so worth it because it was so hard it was so much time, so much money, so much like stress and whatnot, but we were able to get her to this place where she can be a normal horse and she can run around with her friends. And it was really kind of special to see that because I, I mean, the, the amount of times I had seen her be able to do that since she had been sick was pretty low. So seeing her get back to that point, especially knowing that she did get there like before she passed away. I mean, that was in the last, last year of her life, but like knowing that she ended her life in that like kind of positive state there wasn't really a slow decline like I mentioned there were those couple stages of of, um, colic but overall she was like very healthy and very happy right up until the day she passed so I think like those moments with her were like some of my favorite memories too I like that your least favorite was just that you didn't get to be with her enough because there's nothing bad it's all it's just yeah (laughs) yeah I I mean she's (laughs) she's perfect I mean I don't, I don't know that other people would necessarily see her that way, but to me, she definitely was perfect and she had a little bit of, of sass and attitude, but that was honestly, it was all pain related because she was very rude to the other horses in in the pasture. When we first got her, like she was, you know, nobody could approach her. Nobody could be around her. And she also was kind of mean to humans. Like she would snap and bite and, and whatnot. So I think like my parents kind of got the perspective of her of like, oh, she is mean. She is like, you know, a sassy mean mare or whatever, Um, (laughs) which I mean, I like I kind of get why because she was doing that. And people who don't know see that and they're just like, oh, she's biting. They don't understand why. (laughs) But after we actually treated everything and she was feeling good, she never showed any of those behaviors. She didn't show any aggression towards other horses, really, unless they were really messing with her. Although there was this one horse 
I'm just getting on so many tangents, but there was this one horse who got brought in who was a Mustang and she did not like that horse for a while. So she was like the newcomer. She was kind of not really accepting for a while. But other than that, she was like very sweet to horses and very laid back. I don't think she had even snapped at me or come anywhere near biting me in the last like two to three years of her life, which is crazy because she used to bite me every time I saw her. And so that was definitely not a personality trait. I mean, biting is not a personality trait, period. I don't know, for her, that type of behavior was really just pain-related, and it was not at all her personality or her nature. She was just very sweet, and her nature was very gentle, and I'm really glad she was able to kind of bring that nature back out before she, you know, passed away. She had several years where she was feeling good and able to be herself, I think. I don't think people ever realize how much pain can actually affect an animal, because she looks like a sweet horse. I've I've never met her, obviously, but yeah, (laughs) she just looks like she'd be sweet and genuinely nice. So I would never think that she was ever mouthy or anything like that. Yeah, I mean, I agree. She she always had a little bit of tension in her face that never really went away. She always had some kind of like lines in her face. But I think, you know, she was just older and she did have a long history of pain. So I kind of just took that as maybe just at this point, that's her her normal expression, which is kind of unfortunate, but her expressions did change and she did start to look more relaxed. Yeah, she was just very sweet and very, very nice. And my dad actually stopped going to the barn with me probably around when I moved her. We, we had her at three barns over the time that I had her. And I think around the time we moved to the second barn was when my dad stopped going with me because it was also when I became able to drive and she didn't need as much of the daily care from us anymore because she was like doing so much better. And so my dad, I don't really think ever truly got to see her become such a kind horse, which I really wish he had been able to see that. I mean, he he did see her other times since that, but he kind of stopped spending the daily time with her before she fully got back to her you know, true personality. So that would have been cool if he could have seen that because they, they kind of had a nice bond with each other. Like my dad would would help me walk her when she needed to be hand walked and stuff. And he would help me clean the stall and do all those things. So, I mean, he, he got to know her very well and it would have been cool if they could have kind of continued that relationship, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. So another question is, oh, is there anything you would do differently if you knew when she would pass. I guess I would say I had actually been on vacation for a week, probably two weeks before she passed away. And I, when I came back from vacation, was really, really busy. No, I don't think I was on vacation. I'm trying to remember what I was doing because it was during the pandemic. I don't think I was on vacation, but I might have been. I was like somewhere. I was somewhere not at home. And then when I came back, I was like behind on other stuff. So I was like really busy with work and whatnot. And I previously had been going to see her at least every other day. It was a about a 35 minute drive, which is not bad, but sometimes can be hard to make it out there if I was really busy. So I didn't go quite every day, but every other day was pretty good too. But I had only gone, I think a couple times a week for the last two weeks before she passed. And so I guess if, if I could do anything differently, I would try to prioritize getting out there more and being with her in those last couple of weeks. But I, I also will say that she, you know, I spent a lot of time with her and she also didn't need me. She was just out there enjoying herself and, and being a horse. She, I don't think that she was missing out on anything or having a lower quality of life because of me not being there because she was very happy in her, you know, great pasture with her great herd and being 
very well cared for by the barn owners there. So I don't regret it too much, but like, I do think it would have been nice if I got that time with her for myself. Yeah, it's really hard, but I'm glad you don't feel guilty for that because how would you have known if she'd been acting normal and feeling the healthiest you've seen her? There's no way that you would ever know that. Yeah, that's so true. And I actually was supposed to be abroad that semester. If not for COVID, I would have been in in London. So in general, I feel really good about the fact that I was not in London and that I was home and was able to be with her and, and, you know, have that time with her. So I would say, you know, overall, I, I feel pretty good about it. And that's like, you know, COVID sucks. It really sucks. But the one thing that I'm really grateful for is that I got to be home and I got to be with her and, you know, not just when she died, but that last, those last couple of months, because I mean, she died at the end of September. So I would have gone to London in August. So all of August and all of September, I basically would have missed with her and not being there when she died also would have been sad because that experience really I think it was good for her to have people there who cared for her. And also it was good for me to have that closure of like getting to be there and go through that with her. So yeah, I'm just glad that I was there really. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad that I was able to go with Saffron too, because I had called in from work because her euthanasia was planned because Mm -hmm. she started kind of falling back on Friday night and we put her down on Mm -hmm. Monday but like I would have put her down on the weekend except that I wouldn't be able to go with her. Mm, yeah. I didn't think that would be good for anyone because she hates the vet. <laughs> she hates strangers. Yeah. She hates car rides. So it's just like <laughs> it's all these things that would have just built up and I wouldn't have been there for her. I'm sure she she felt better having someone there who she trusted. Yeah. And this was our new vet too. It's Sage's vet. So they're all fear-free and everything. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So they like they had her on a blanket and they had some like classical type music playing the room was really warm and like essential oils going like all the stuff (laughs) to make it relaxing that's really nice yeah so she wasn't home which sucks I wish she could have been home for it because it would have been better for her but I think overall that was probably second best yeah that definitely sounds much better than you know what I would typically picture I don't think I've actually ever been to a euthanasia at the vet's office because my um, childhood cat well I kind of have two childhood cats and one is still alive but my other childhood cat who passed away and my childhood dog who also passed away we had her for 16 years so she was like really you know our dog for a really long time but we did have someone come to the house and put both of them down so because they were both planned as well but I think it was easier with Coco because Again, she was doing so well pretty much up until the last day. So I didn't really have to like think about it ahead of time or make any real decisions ahead of time. Although obviously I did make the choice about not having the surgery, but I think it's often easier when it's just kind of a quick thing. Yeah, like Saffron's was really quick. She was fine Thursday and most of Friday. And then at night she just kind of slept on one part (laughs) of the couch and just like she was just sleeping I was like oh that's probably just she's comfortable there whatever but then she stayed in that spot throughout all of Saturday only got up to eat or drink so I was like it was really quick and then yeah Sage was with us too and he is weird about cats so that was really complicated (laughs) but we had to like put her in a little x-pen that he couldn't get into 
she had this tiny little space and I felt awful but like that's what she needed to be safe because she was trying to walk around and she had tumors that were like kind of under her armpits so it was really hard for her to walk anyway oh poor girl and that was only like a month or two after she'd gotten surgery previously so it was like they had to have missed something or it was just too far gone to really fix it but it was really quick that it came back and it came back hard too so it's rough but I feel like when you know you know like I think in some way they tell you Mm -hmm. yeah I definitely think so too and like I had never made the decision before until Coco because my parents had always made the decision about like our family animals so I just you know never really was in that situation where I had to like decide but I mean I also feel like I didn't because like you said I feel like she kind of told me and I think I just knew she was ready so that made it easy it's so easy but so hard at the same time (laughs) yes (laughs) obviously we love our animals and we want to do what we think is best for them but sometimes it's hard to let go because we're losing them yeah it is really hard and especially with Coco too like I I kind of knew that I wouldn't be getting another horse and so I didn't really know like what the situation would be because I can't really bear to not be around horses you know it's really hard even just in general to know that not only am I losing like somebody that I really love but I'm also kind of losing potentially a lifestyle or a hobby or an activity that I really like doing which is being around horses um and I didn't you know I didn't know what would happen after that like if I would lease a horse or whatever and I also kind of tried to put weird boundaries on myself to be like I'm not going to lease a horse for a month I'm going to wait 30 days and then I'll lease a horse and I don't know why I did that because (laughs) I was ready to go like I about a week after I think I needed about a week off about after a week I was ready to go be around horses again like did I want to own another horse at that point probably not probably you know didn't have that in me and even now like I I probably could have it in me now but I don't know it's still it's still very hard to think of like owning another horse besides her I kind of did something similar too, though like both my cats passed and I was like I can't have a cat right now like it's just I can't handle that it's it would remind me too much of them but then I got another dog and now I can't because they're both hunting dogs Mm, I I think they would probably tag team a cat and I don't want to deal with that so yeah that would not be good (laughs) but I mean they take up enough of my time anyway Oh, yeah. I mean, that's good that you recognize, I don't know, I guess being like realistic about it and not just being like, well, I want a cat. So I'm going to get a cat. Like definitely you're really looking out for your animals and stuff by being careful with that. Yeah. I mean, I could definitely work with both of them on it, but both my dogs resource guard. So it'd be kind of complicated to help them work through that with another animal in the house when they already do it with each other. It's It's not really fair. I wish, but I'll just fulfill my cat needs through other people. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited. I think my friend might be getting a cat and she told me I could train it. So I'm really excited. Oh, that's so (laughs) exciting. I've never trained a cat, so I want to like learn how to do it. I could train my own cat, my like family cat that lives with my parents, but I don't know. He's older and he has medical issues and he also can't see very well. So I like, I mean, I could still train him through all of that, but training a younger cat who's more active and more like can see and everything that just seems like it would be an easier starting point than like starting to try to train this cat who's like older and can't see and whatnot my one regret with saffron was not starting training with her earlier because I started 
maybe like a year before she passed but I taught her to fist bump and that was pretty cute oh that's very cute (laughs) and she could station on a mat too but that was about all she knew yeah that's cute though that kind of reminds me of Coco like I just taught her a couple things but didn't really get deep into anything unfortunately there's not that much about training cats with clicker training like it was really hard for me to find anything to mm-hmm. help me out I think I could do it now with the experience I have but at the time I was like what do I do with this animal <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's fair it's, cats are definitely like they're they're trainable and they can do cool stuff but it's not really like normalized in society to train cats so like no one really thinks about it or knows about it and also they are so different in general than like dogs or horses so I feel like you kind of have to know some about their like behavior before you might be super successful with that. It's interesting though because I train the dogs really similarly similarly to how I train the horses and vice versa but like with Saffron I was like none of this works. (laughs) Yeah. It's so weird that a dog and a horse are more alike than a dog and a cat, but it's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's actually, that's a good point. That's really weird. I don't yeah. know. I really, I really want to train my guinea pigs, but they're just so hard because they are so afraid of me. And also I don't want to separate them to train because they like to be with each other. And I think they would be really stressed by being separated. And then that would make the training not positive and also not very effective because they would be focused on stress. So I just like, I never do it, but I feel like I, if I just put my mind to it, I can make it happen and really work on it with them because like I, when I first got them, I would try pretty hard to like get them to like me and I don't know, get them used to me. But then when I realized that they were just happy kind of being on their own and they didn't really need me to interact with them because they have each other and they just explore and do little activities and do their own things. I was like, all right, I'm just going to pretty much let them be. And I hand feed them every day. But other than that, I really just kind of let them be. And I feel like it would be better, be like more enriching for me if like I could <laughs> teach them to want to be with me. I don't think they need that because they're fine. They're, they have each other and they're happy. But I don't know. I spend so much time cleaning up after them. I just want them to love me. <laughs> I mean, it wouldn't hurt to try, I guess. It's just, I see how it would be hard to set it up for success. Yeah. I mean, I guess I could try training them together, but that's really not not good, not, not really an <laughs> ideal situation. Or I mean, I guess I could just train one of them and just kind of give the other one hay or something and let them go in the corner and eat hay and then try to focus on training the other one. That might work. Well, that's kind of what we do with horses. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> it might work. Yeah. I guess I'll maybe give it a try and one of them is kind of one of them will let me pet him and occasionally hold him and the other one will not let me touch him though he will crawl on me like if I have food he will crawl into my lap and like he's not he doesn't seem to be afraid of me really he just doesn't like to be touched so I don't know maybe there's a way I can get him to have more of a positive association with being touched but it also seems in general that they don't seem to mind being held once they're being held but they very much don't like to be caught like they like they'll just run basically and not want to be caught and so I don't know if that's mostly just like them not wanting to be held or if there may be some kind of like instinctual thing for them of like you know they're they're small little animals they don't want to be caught in general so I don't know if there's some type of like a hand coming down at them is just like inherently scary regardless of how they actually feel about being held I'm not sure but it might be a combination of things I don't know much about rodents at all but I feel like that would be pretty intimidating given the size of them (laughs) yeah yeah so I don't know 
Okay, we're like pretty pretty off on random tangents, which is great. I love that. But okay, <laughs> here's another question, I guess. Um, is there anything that you're doing as a keepsake of her? Um, the answer to that would be yes, 100%. I used to have where I lived last year, I had a little kind of like cocoa shrine, which is kind of weird, but I have a picture of it on my Instagram. And basically, it was her her trunk, which has her, you know, ashes in it from when she was cremated. I had a painting that my friend Joe painted of her like years ago, like before I even ever bought Coco because Joe owned her before me. So I had that painting that Joe gave to me and I kind of put it on top of the trunk. And then I had a beautiful keychain that I got from Low Places Leather Co., which is a really cool company that is on Instagram that makes art. So it was really cool. So I have a keychain that has Coco on it from her, and it says in loving memory and her birth date and her death date on it on the back. And so I have that. I had that there. And then I have like a mold of her hoof that I also have there. And then some of her mane and also, my friend Jennifer, who I mentioned before, gave me this really sweet two charms, and they're they're like a horse with wings on it, and she got them for herself when her horse died as well. And basically, the idea is you leave one of them with the horse's ashes, and you keep the other one with you. So it's kind of like a connection to the horse. And so I have that there as well. And my friend Jennifer also gave me a small box that has like you know, a horse on it. And so I put inside that the charm and the mane and stuff like that. So yeah. And I also had like a few pictures of her. I had a lot of pictures of her on my wall, just in general, where I used to live, like before she died, I just had like all these pictures of her up. So um, I have all of that. And then also, my friend Joe also painted me a, a painting that I've also posted on Instagram of me and Coco together. So I have that as well, which that's hanging on my wall right now. Um, where I live right now, I I only have the painting of me and Coco and the keychain here right now. At home, at my parents' house, I have the other stuff. So so I have like all of that stuff that I would say is like a keepsake of her. And one thing I also really wanted to do, and my parents are going to, I think, get it for me as it was going to be like a Christmas gift, get a little piece of her mane made into a ring because I know they can make bracelets and whatnot, but I don't really wear bracelets. I only wear rings. And also I would be really scared to wear the bracelet because I'd be worried that like something would happen to it. But in the ring, it's kind of like encased in a hard material where it's not going to get damaged. So unless you lose it, it's pretty much safe. So I was going to get that because I do wear rings and I thought that would be really nice to just kind of keep her with me. And then, okay, lastly, (laughs) I also am planning on getting a tattoo in memory of her and somebody on Instagram actually forgot who, but they suggested I get a tattoo in memory of her that basically it's like planets with rings around it and the the ring is the C and the planet is the O. And so like when you just look at it, it just looks like planets, but if you really know what it means, it actually spells cocoa with the rings and the, and the planets. So I thought that was really creative because the thing is like, I didn't want an obviously horse tattoo. There's nothing wrong with an obviously horse tattoo, but that's just not what I personally wanted. I kind of wanted something that was more subtle and more like kind of a hidden message. So that was like really the perfect thing for me. Um, and I have gotten mixed reviews on it. Like some of my friends are like, that's dumb, but I don't really care because <laughs> I like it. So I'm going to get that eventually. I just am kind of procrastinating on it. I have one tattoo right now. So yeah, that's pretty much it. 
Saffron's that actually sent us home with a plaque of her paw print, which was Aww. really sweet. We have to pay extra for it, but I was like, yes, give me that. Yeah. <laughs> so we That's have that. Sweet. And then I have her collar and some paw prints I did at home that didn't turn out very great. <laughs> but Aww. I have that in a little shadow box and that's all I have for her, but I do plan on getting a tattoo of her. I have a portrait of my other cat. Her name's Priscilla, and it's like, it's enormous. It's on my thigh, and it takes up a lot of it, <laughs> but I want to get that sounds really nice. I love it. It was actually my birthday gift before she died from my mom, which was Aww. also very nice, but I want to get saffron flowers surrounding the portrait of Priscilla. And then I actually also want to get another one for Priscilla because I got her when I was like four. So like she took up a lot of my life. (laughs) Very important. (laughs) But I want to get the compound, like scientific chemical compound of vinegar, which wouldn't make sense to most people, but she was cremated in a vinegar box. So it's like, (laughs) it's not obviously a cat tattoo and people will probably be like, why do you have that? But (laughs) (laughs) I think it's cute and it's meaningful to me. It might not mean anything to anyone else, but it's similar to your idea where some people might think it's dumb, but it's actually really cool. Yeah, that sounds really, really cool. I think you should definitely do it. That's definitely, I think tattoos are a really cool way to remember people or animals or things like that. My one I have is actually not like super meaningful. It's like my, my best friend and I, for like years wanted to get something that was kind of like matching between us of our friendship because we've been friends we've been I've been friends since sixth grade so I guess probably around like 10 years or so 11 something like that years and so I guess we just wanted like a friendship thing so it's not like super deep but it is like a very meaningful relationship so yeah I honestly want to get tattoos for all of my animals, but I don't know if I have a big enough body to fill that for my whole life. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I'm guessing What's... lots of animals are in your future, so. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I already have four right now, so. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's that would be really cool, though. I don't know. For me, I feel like I really do connect much more to horses than I do to other animals. For me, like losing Coco was a much different experience for me than losing my other types of animals but I know that's like me personally and how I like connect to different animals um but my current dog that lives my parents Chip I do I'm very very close with him I think he's probably the dog that I've really been had the closest connection with even though my other dog we did have for so many years and I loved her so much like I I just don't think I had the same close connection with her that I have with Chip Um, so I mean that could change for me as I like have different types of connections with different animals but like I don't I don't personally think I would get a tattoo of my my dog or my cat who have passed away because it's just it wasn't the same meaning for me as like Coco was but I definitely think like in the future I could have those type of relationships with other types of animals too. Yeah I think with my animals the reason that I bond so much with them is because they have behavioral needs so like they need a lot of attention which strengthens our relationship (laughs) which like I don't want them to be anxious like that sucks for them but there are some benefits to it like I have to work with my dogs otherwise they're not going to be happy yeah that's interesting and that might kind of explain why I had that deeper relationship with Coco too because she was the one who really needed that attention and care whereas my other dogs and animals were just like oh like you're good you know you're a sweet dog you're good but it wasn't really like they didn't need something from me the way that she did so that also couldn't maybe explain that but 
Yeah, I never really thought about that. Yeah, mine are very much special needs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I love them and I think it does help a relationship because I mean, if they're just a genuine good animal, they don't really need all the attention that another animal might not saying again yeah. that they should be anxious I don't like that but <laughs> it's it's good for bonding I guess yeah that makes sense same with Phoenix too like he's relatively good from a behavioral standpoint but he does have medical issues not anything crazy like I don't have to give him medication or anything but like he has to wear a muzzle all summer so I'm taking that on and off every day sometimes twice a day and then like they both need their grain soaked because Wonder chokes and Phoenix has mm. before. It's not as severe, but he definitely has. So like I feel like when there's something we have to give them that does help the relationship aspect. Yeah, that makes sense. I think I agree. And I'm a big fan of grain soaking. I like that. I'm always like, just soak it. Like I don't even care. Unless it's like <laughs> freezing outside, then maybe maybe it's harder then. But um, I think in general, soaking grain is a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even if your horse hasn't choked, they might. You never know. Yeah, the barn that I had Coco at for last year, she, the the owner, soaked everyone's grain, which was really, I liked that. I was like, wow, that's cool. You're really going to, like, put in the effort and soak everyone's grain. And she, um, she trained them all, yes, using negative reinforcement, but she basically mat trained them all to stand in certain areas, actually on mats, for them to get their dinner. So they would all, like, basically be fed out there, and she would watch them and you know, make sure that they were staying on their own mat and then give them their food and whatnot. And so that was a actually a really cool way of feeding. Like if I were to do that, I would teach it with positive reinforcement, but like it was really, was really effective and really a cool way of getting them all to stand and eat their dinner. And I've actually never seen like a more traditional negative reinforcement trainer do something like that. So that was also really cool. I was like, wow, you know, you can use negative reinforcement to teach these, um, type of behaviors that we sometimes do with positive reinforcement not all of the behaviors could be taught with equally as effectively with negative reinforcement I don't think but it was really cool to see her like do that so that was cool very off topic and random but it's just a cool thing <laughs> that is really cool I didn't see anything quite like that when I was at boarding burns but the horses would know which stall to go into which is kind of similar and I think that's really interesting too Oh yeah, they learned where they're supposed to go. My horses right now, they know their stalls, but they have had to get moved around recently because we had bees infesting Mimi's stall and we have four stalls and three horses. So we basically just like emptied that stall and put Mimi in a different stall. And then Ren and Tiny were having like issues. So then we had to switch Mimi and Ren around. And then Ren was really unhappy because Ren's very particular about where she wants to be. So then we had to switch them back again. So they've been kind of switched around. But in general, they do know like where they're going to go. And when we bring them in, they're like, they, they go right to their spot. My dogs do something similar too, because like I mentioned, they both resource guards. So one eats in the hallway, one eats in the living room. And then we baby gate them just for extra safety. I don't want to have anything happen, but as soon as I'm done making their food bowls, they know exactly where to go and they both just <laughs> go to their spot and wait. And Aww. I didn't like specifically train that. They just kind of learn by association, but it's really cool. Yeah, that is really cool. They're they're smart. They really learn. When I was younger, like before I had Coco and I was kind of volunteering or like just kind of hanging out at this one barn that was close to my house that is shut down. That's a whole other story. But anyways, um, <laughs> So they had a lot of horses. They had like maybe 40 or 50 horses and 
they would pretty much just put up ropes to like block off the road and just open all the gates and let basically all the horses go and they were all every horse just ran they like you know a lot of them would come basically like galloping in because it was a pretty long way too because some of them were in like a closer up dry lot and then some were like kind of far back in a grass pasture and there was kind of like a little path through the woods that was gated off that they would open up to let the horses from the back go to the front pasture and then go to the barn so they would all just come like racing in and then of course there'd be some slower ones like coming in the back but they would all go exactly to their own stall even though there's like 50 of these horses and it was like very chaotic I wouldn't really recommend doing it this way because it was very chaotic but like they they went to their spots and it it worked and I guess when you have 50 horses you don't really want to spend time like having somebody lead all of them in so it was efficient but it was pretty crazy and one horse actually did get injured during it because it was muddy and he was running through the dry lot and slipped and he had to be put down because he broke his leg so that was terrible but I mean that could just be a freak accident in general that could happen anytime but he was like running to get to the barn so in general I wouldn't recommend but it was efficient it's very chaotic yeah the first barn I had (laughs) the first barn I had wonder at that's what they did too I think they had about 40 horses total but there was two separate barns so they weren't like all going to the same one and Mm. I think they did like the geldings would go in or out together and then the mares would go in or out together so it wasn't like all 40 horses at the same time but I got there one time when they were letting horses out of their stalls and it was really stressful for me (laughs) I can't imagine how they were feeling (laughs) oh my gosh yeah that's yeah it definitely seems really stressful but at the time I didn't really think anything of it because it was like my first barn and I was just like okay I guess this is how it's done I don't know (laughs) yeah that was the first time I'd seen that happen at all and like I didn't know if they just like broke out or what was really going on because this (laughs) giant sea of horses kind of scary but (laughs) yeah that is kind of scary (laughs) oh my gosh I guess (laughs) yeah I guess so another question was did you sing any songs to her I think this is a really cool question it's like very creative and different like I wouldn't think to ask this question so I really like it but the answer is no I did not sing any songs to her because I'm not really much of a singer and I do like you know I'll sing along to the radio or whatever but I'm not a good singer and (laughs) yeah so not really but there are a few songs that make me think of her so there's one song that I listened to in the car when we were on the way to pick her up when we were first bringing her home and I always associate that song with her I don't know if I'm allowed to swear on this podcast or not, but it's a song like Bubblegum, like B-I-T-C-H by, um, I think it's by Marina and the Diamonds. I don't actually like listen to this song though, so I don't even really know. I just listened to it that one day. But yeah, whenever that song would come on, I would really like think of her and be like, oh, you know, that, that song reminds me of her. And then the song, I guess, that has been kind of associated with her during my like grief phase, I guess, what is... Wake Me Up When September Ends by Green Day, which is a song that I used to listen to a lot when I was a kid. And I guess I thought of it because of like, you know, she died at, in one of the last couple of days of September. So I was like, oh, you know, that that made me think of the song. But then I guess I just sort of started listening to it when she passed away. And so like now it's associated with that time. And it also like just like the feelings and the vibes of the song kind of are both like really sad and really comforting to me in terms of like 
managing grief. So that song is definitely more of like a a grief-related song that I feel about her. And I would listen to a lot of songs with her. So I guess there are a good number of songs out there that could be associated with her. But in terms of like specific songs that were associated with her, I would say probably just those two. I don't really have any personally. Like I deal with grief really badly. I just don't do anything. So Mm. (laughs) like I won't listen to music. I won't watch shows. Like I'll just kind of exist for a while and then I'm okay. But Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so I don't really have anything associated with any of my past animals, but yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I I definitely get that. I feel like I either handle grief the same way as you do nothing or I like can't do nothing. Like I have to have something going on, like specifically usually talking to people. When I actually went through a breakup in, tw- in 2018, that was like really hard for me it was like my first serious breakup from a from a relationship and so that was a kind of grief for me too and that type of thing I could not be alone like I basically needed to be talking to someone on the phone or I needed to be with someone pretty much at all times but weirdly I couldn't listen to music and I couldn't really watch movies so it was like kind of a weird thing and I think that was like definitely a different kind of grief than than death but when Coco died I did have to be with people like I couldn't sleep by myself so I had to basically have my boyfriend um be with me like every night for a while because I just could not and I would wake up a lot in the middle of the night and and be really sad um and I also did have shows on constantly as well even though I couldn't watch shows during my breakup but when Coco died I watched so many shows but they were all like childhood shows or like old dumb comforting shows like I remember I I would watch like Sweet Life of Zack and Cody a lot because it was just like (laughs) dumb and like childhood show so it wasn't like taking any emotional energy from me so um, I would like sleep with it on and just kind of have it on whenever I was just not doing anything so I think yeah it just depends on like the person and how they manage grief and also the specific experience of that person because even different types of grief over different experiences might affect people differently yeah that's definitely true too and I do that one too where I just do way too much I have way too much going on like I try to kind of distract myself from it I think but I try not to do that because then I just get overwhelmed and exhausted and then it worsens Mm. everything (laughs) so I kind of just try to like let the emotions happen and I just go through it as I need to and that seems to be better for me so I don't exhaust myself (laughs) Yeah, that makes sense. I think, yeah, I think that's probably good to not exhaust yourself. But then on the other hand, I feel like sometimes it could be really overwhelming for me too, if I like, was just left with my emotions and just just sitting there thinking or doing nothing It like opened up too much room for it to get too intense. So I feel like there it's a good there's good to have a balance probably or just depending on the person's experience. Yeah, I mean, I should probably balance it more. <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, whatever okay. works for you, whatever works for you. I mean, I feel like there's kind of like expectations of how people should manage grief too. Like we already talked about expectations about how much grief people should have. But I feel like also, I don't know. I know like I've been guilty of this too. In high school, my ex's parent passed away and my ex actually missed school like a lot and was not doing well in in their classes and things like that and so I remember like I mean I was doing my best to be very supportive and very understanding because obviously losing a parent is like a very serious 
thing to go through, especially when you're pretty young and like still in high school and everything. And so I was trying to be really supportive, but I do remember when, when, you know, months had gone by and they were still not, not really doing well with school. I was like, kind of starting to be like, okay, you need to do well with school. You need to like come to school and you need to really do better because it's not good for you. And like, to some extent that's true, but also people do experience grief in different ways. And I think I, you know, in, in hindsight would hopefully be more understanding of that. Obviously you don't want to like let months go by and just let your life totally fall apart because that's just going to make things worse but I don't know it's okay to to not be over something like in a few months like it can be something that lasts forever and I yeah I wish I had been a little more understanding but yeah it's hard to be the person that's helping the person in grief too though like that's a really hard position to be in yeah that's that's really true yeah obviously you care for the person you want them to be successful but you also have to acknowledge their emotions and what they're feeling and it's kind of complicated yeah, honestly, you're right. It is it is really hard. I don't know. I feel like that's probably one of the only times I've really been that like one person that was really helping someone through like a, a very serious grief like that. And it was really hard. But I don't know, that makes me feel grateful for like the people that have helped me through my grief, like especially <laughs> my boyfriend, because he really was with me every single night. I'm sure it was not great when I would like wake up and be like crying and waking him up and whatnot. And also he like, you know, was there with me when Coco passed away and missed class and whatnot to be there, which like to me felt like a really simple thing. Like my horse is dying. Yeah, you better miss class and like come be here. But also that's not a small thing. That's pretty pretty nice of him and very you know considerate to kind of prioritize my emotions and like what I was going through when he didn't really you know know Coco very well like yeah he met her several times but they didn't have any type of relationship really and um so to just kind of like drop something that's important to him to be there for me that's a hard thing to do so yeah I guess now I feel very grateful so that's good (laughs) It's also really hard if you're grieving with someone like Nathan was there too when Saffron passed and he was probably actually closer to her even though I'd known her her entire life and he only knew her like two or three years but they had this bond that was like she really liked him more than me and I'm okay with that (laughs) like it's really hard too when you're both going through the same thing and you're each other's main support system there's just so much with grief that's really challenging no matter what position you're in like no matter who's dealing with it if it's you or someone you love like it's it's so complicated yeah I I bet that's yeah that's really hard I mean when my ex's father died I I do remember that was like the first time for me that somebody who was a fairly close person to me because I I mean I was over there a lot like I was I would consider him to have been a family friend or at least like a friend of of me like I don't know, like, I guess he wasn't actually friends with my family, but it was like sort of along the lines of how a family friend would be, you know, like kind of a person that's like, not really around your age and not really like, you don't really interact with them like by your own choice, but they're kind of like around. And so they're kind of just like a friend in a way. And so, I I mean, I would see him multiple times a week and everything. And so for him to like die really suddenly, I was like, whoa, I've never had this happen before where like somebody that I regularly interact with and like have some type of relationship with 
it was just like dead randomly so that was like really shocking to me but then at the same time I was like okay whatever like I'm feeling right now is so minor in comparison to what my ex was feeling about like you know their dad dying so I kind of had to be like yes it's okay for me to have this emotion of like whoa I'm a little bit sad and I have a little bit of grief too but I also have to prioritize my ex because they're the one that is having a way more serious impact from this yeah and I'm actually really bad about dropping my own feelings for other people so sometimes (laughs) I try to not do that but like in that situation I think it's important to put that person first because obviously that's a lot more traumatic for them than someone who isn't their child you know what I mean yeah yeah exactly I think it's a there's a good balance there because you don't want to totally like give up your emotions completely but still recognizing that that person needing you to be there might be more important than your own feelings at that time right exactly yeah okay another question was how did you deal with the early days when she was gone balancing the loss in daily life too so I guess I kind of talked about this a little bit where I would um, not really want to be alone and want to be with my boyfriend and also watching shows and stuff like that and I also mentioned that I took a couple of days off of class I, I really could not handle I couldn't handle class because I just I don't know I just couldn't and I also really especially couldn't handle work because I worked with horses at that point and so like having to go and be around horses I only took off, I took off one week I think like I only worked on Sunday and Monday. So I took off one Sunday and Monday and then I went back the following Sunday and Monday. And I felt fine when I went back, but I'm really glad I did take that off because I think having to go basically right after she died would have just been really terrible because I would have just been thinking of her. So I think I did need those couple of days off, but after that I was fine. And I guess in general, over like a longer period than just the few days I after she died, I have kind of tried to do things that, keep her memory alive for me like how I talked about earlier the stuff I have that kind of is for her or about her like the little cocoa shine that I used to have and I still have all the items from it it's just not all together anymore and so having those things around was really good and I also reached out to some old people from me and Coco's past specifically two people the first one was my friend Jennifer who I've also mentioned who is the one who helped me out a lot when Coco was sick and also gave me the box and the charms after Coco passed away so I reached out to her and I went to go see her and her horse Romeo and we talked a little bit about Coco I helped her clean out her tack room and she gave me the gifts which was really sweet and so I think like reconnecting with people who also loved Coco was really cool and then the second person was my friend Joe, who is still a really big part of my life because she is a really, really good friend. And she, over the past year, has really, I think I've really gotten to know her really well and become good friends. And she also is the owner of the horses that I, you know, work with right now, Ren, Mimi, and Tiny. So I actually hadn't really talked to her for, I don't know, probably really ever. I mean, when I got Coco, I would send her updates like once every several months of like, oh, you know, Coco's doing this. She's doing good. Or Coco's not doing good because a lot of the time she was not doing good. But then after Coco passed, I sent her basically a message and a few photos of of Coco being like, hey, I just want to let you know Coco passed away. I know you really cared about her. And I want to also thank you for, you know, bringing us together. And yeah, because that was like a really big gift to me in life to have her so yeah and then Joe actually called me the next day and we had a really long conversation where she was like 
basically telling me she wanted me to come over and you know talk to her about Coco and she wanted to paint me the portrait of me and Coco and she also wanted me to spend some time with her horses so basically I went over there and I've never stopped going back since (laughs) so for the past year I have been going there very frequently and being around her and her horses and I think you know that has been a big blessing for me because in general, it's been really helpful to have a good friend and some some really nice horses that I can spend time with that have kind of helped me heal. And also, I think there was something special, as I've talked about before, about kind of going back to the place where I got Coco from and kind of going there where where I did have kind of, it was like kind of the origin of me and Coco was there. So being able to go back to that place did feel kind of special. Like I'm not spiritual really, and I don't really believe in like, you know, any of those type of things, but still it did kind of feel just like it was meant to be for me to end up back in that place. Almost like Coco was kind of taking care of me by kind of giving me this next opportunity with, with her old herd mates and her old owner and her old home. So that was really special to me. And I think that's partially why I chose to kind of invest so much energy into there rather than, you know, leasing a horse somewhere else or, something like that. So it is, it has been a really special place for me to be there. And it's also cool because as I'm kind of making this video about, you know, one year of Coco being gone, which is really sad. It's, it's also pretty much one year of my new horses as well. So that's kind of like a positive, I guess, of, you know, there was this really cool opportunity to meet these really nice horses and kind of have this new growth after she passed away. And really like, I think these new horses are what have really shown me that I love horses so much. And it's not just Coco because when I had Coco, I mean, I worked at a barn, but I pretty much put all of my horse energy into Coco and I didn't really care for other people's horses. Like, I mean, it's not that I didn't like them or anything, but I just like knew Coco was my priority. And I knew that, you know, I didn't have any interest in like riding a friend's horse or whatever, because why would I do that when it's going to take away time I could have spent with Coco? So I just was very focused on her. And so I think it was very kind of shocking to suddenly have that ripped away, but then also being able to be like, well, yes, I loved Coco very much, but there's something here about horses in general that I also am still interested in and still want to keep doing. So it's not just her, it's, it's the whole thing. So I think that was good. Yeah, that was a lot, but I think like, (laughs) like the, the new opportunities and the new connections and whatnot that I have gotten and even like, you know, reconnections with old people from the past, I think were probably the biggest part of my healing, but also a lot of other smaller things too. I really like that it kind of came full circle. Like Coco came from Joe and then you guys got reconnected and now you have all the horses you work with now and you have Coco through that. Like she's not there physically, but like there's parts of her in there. Yeah, I agree. It's, it feels really special. And I, I really like that part of it. And I mean, there's still the sign on the wall that, that has her name on it because Joe um, jo is an artist and she is a big painter. So she painted stall signs for all of the horses that she's had at, at her house. And so obviously we have them for Ren, Mimi and Tiny. And then there's also one for Coco. There's one for an old border horse, Mark. There's one for Joe's horse, Pride, who passed away. And there's, I think, a couple others as well. So it's it's nice to kind of have, like, you know, her name is up there. It's like, she, I mean, she's not there, but 
this is where she came from and you know there's still memories of her and you know actual tangible objects that are from her too <laughs> yeah it's very like cliche and said all the time but I think focusing on the positive memories can be really beneficial when you're going through the grieving process and then we talked a lot about just having support I feel like that's yeah. that's pretty crucial because it's a really vulnerable state to be in and it's really hard to move on at first but it does get better and you can't open your heart to new animals and new opportunities and all that it's just you need support it's not something I think most people can handle completely on their own yeah I totally agree with that and another cliche but I just thought of it because a like you know friend or like Instagram mutual endurance and Gymkhana Megan she posted something on her story yesterday that was like I've seen it before but it was like one of those things that's saying like people think grief shrinks over time but actually you grow around the grief and it has like a picture of a black ball within a jar and the the ball stays the same size but the jar is growing and I think like that is very cliche but it also those types of things just like thinking like that can be really helpful when you're going through grief because I don't know it just kind of gives you an impression that you are going to grow and things are going to get better and I don't think it's necessarily very helpful to be like eh, the grief will shrink because I mean, to be honest, I don't really want the grief to shrink. I want to keep this care for Coco. If the grief were to shrink, then I would know that I didn't care for her the same way because how could I miss her less if I, you know, still care for her so much? So I think it's really cool to think that we can still keep this part of us and it will stay just as it is, but we'll still grow and create new space for new things. And so it will hurt less. I really like that analogy. And I've kind of found that true with myself too. Like when Saffron passed, I still had sage and the horses so like I couldn't just not keep going like I had to yeah put that love and energy somewhere else so instead of just sulking all the time I tried to spend more time with my other animals and kind of put that love for saffron outward to other things mm -hmm. yeah I think that's that's really cool and that's really powerful to kind of keep that love and keep it for her and also be able to redirect it towards other people or animals or things that that kind of need that type of love and attention I think that's that's a really powerful way of handling that I don't think it's the easiest to do but oh no definitely not <laughs> but it can be really beneficial to not only yourself but to whoever you're giving that love and attention to yeah yeah I think so too you know, I don't know when I'm going to own another horse. And this was like my, you know, I guess childhood horse that like my parents got for me. And I know this is probably the last time I'm going to have this type of more like carefree experience with ownership where I'm not really having to foot the bills for these really expensive vet visits and whatnot. Um, but, you know, it's okay because I will just work hard and hopefully at some point be able to be in a situation where I feel like I can have the horse or have another horse and you know, still make those things work and I'll have, you know, more control and more experience and knowledge. So, I mean, there's, there's negatives and positives, I guess. Yeah. That's another aspect of childhood animals. That's complicated. Yeah. <laughs> when you're an adult owning animals, they cost a lot. Oh, yes. <laughs> you don't really realize it in the moment, but yeah, I mean, I get it even just having my guinea pigs, they cost like not very much. But even with them, I'm like, okay, if they need to go to the vet, it's still gonna probably be a couple hundred dollars because 
like you know to get exotic animals looked at and get treatment or whatever like it's gonna end up being expensive and I've thankfully only had to take them to the vet once and only one of them needed to be looked at and they only ended up needing an exam so it was only like probably like 60 to 80 dollars I can't remember just for the exam so that wasn't too bad but it's just like knowing like something could go wrong I could have to spend hundreds of dollars on these (laughs) guinea pigs so right like truffle injured his ear tip and just going to the vet to have them tell me it doesn't need stitches was like 108 dollars or something like that oh my goodness (laughs) like that's that's insane (laughs) that's crazy yeah that's basically what happened with Romeo too because we I took him to the vet and I was like why does he have this giant lump on his back and then the vet was just like oh that's just a cyst and just like popped it and then like (laughs) drained it and it took like one minute and he's like all right he's fine (laughs) I was like oh okay (laughs) well I just you know paid 80 dollars for like two minutes of vet care (laughs) but like you know I feel my mind is at ease now now that I know that it's not like a cancer thing or something so yeah truffle beer is doing good now so I'm not really that worried (laughs) that is good I was worried about him because I was like oh my gosh that it was that so bad. sound good. <laughs> yeah, there was blood everywhere. And I mean, I know ear tips bleed a lot. Like that's, I've seen that because puppies are awful and I worked in a doggy daycare. Mm, so, yeah. <laughs> but like his ear was actually split. Like there was a clear cut in the tip of oh his my ear. Gosh. And I mean, personally, I probably would have wanted that stitched, but <laughs> you know, I just, I trusted the vet in that moment, I guess, but he's doing better now. So it's okay. <laughs> I'm glad he's doing better. Do you think it's going to leave a scar? Maybe. There's no hair growth yet, but it still is scabbed. It's just less nasty looking. So well, that is <laughs> we'll find good. out. I think that was like two weeks ago, though. So it's still relatively fresh for that kind of injury. Yeah, that's yeah. Hopefully it will heal up. I mean, I think it sounds like it's on a good track. It sounds like it's getting better. So thankfully, yes. Okay, I mean, there are a couple more questions, but I feel like it's been like two hours, so we maybe should like (laughs) wrap it up soon. I mean, like I could talk about Coco or grief or random things about life for like ever. So, (laughs) but also we're going to post this one as like a whole episode, so probably don't want it to be like five hours long. Yeah, I mean, Um, watch us have to break it up anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I... Yeah, but I think it's been like, it's been nice to talk about her and just kind of share her story in general, because I've never really like, I don't know, I guess told the whole story like at a time, like just went through everything. And also, I mean, I think grief is something a lot of people go through. And like a lot of what we said was just kind of random stuff. But I still feel like it's helpful just to kind of put it out there that like, yes, grief is a real thing that a lot of people go through, everyone goes through it's a really real topic and it's really hard. And, you know, I didn't get super emotional during this, but it has been a very emotional year for me. And it has been a really rough, really rough period of my life. So I hope that it was helpful. And also don't take my like calmness as not being emotional, because I guess I just like, I have the ability to just kind of look back on it now without getting overly emotional, but that's only after getting overly emotional many, 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 many times. Like I still have a lot of dreams that she's still alive. Like, you know, just the other night I had a dream that she was still alive. And I would say probably about once a week, I have a dream that she's still alive. And I, you know, still talk about her with my friends and family, like, you know, very frequently. 
I think about her every single day. Like there definitely hasn't been a day this past year that I did not think about her. Also just because I have things that remind me of her everywhere, like the painting on my wall and whatnot, but also just because I mean, I just think about her because she was so important to me. So yeah, like it's, it's just a hard process, but I think there are things you can do to make it better. Like, especially the support that I received and that helped me heal and also helped me kind of open up to new growth and new connections and whatnot. So, I mean, I would say this year overall, I'm able to kind of have a positive perspective on it just because I do really love my, my three horses that I work with now and the people that I formed connections with and everything and all the really cool opportunities that I've had, like starting this podcast and all those things. I don't think I ever would have done that if I would just had Coco because my, I guess like view on horses is expanding so much by working with different horses and kind of getting more into learning about behavior and, and everything. So yeah, I mean, it's positive, but also it's been the hardest year of my life. So I don't know. I guess that's really all I have to say. Grief is a very complex thing to go through, but I think it does help to kind of see how those animals or people or opportunities even have benefited you and kind of put you on the path that you're going on right now. Like you said, Coco, mm-hmm. Coco helped with a lot of stuff. She really brought a lot of things into your life. But like with Saffron, she didn't have the best life because she didn't like other animals at all. And mm. my mom had two dogs and then my other cat at the time. So she kind of just lived in the office by herself. So like bringing her to where she has to live with a dog that does not like cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> then, that's not great. And then also myself who she did not like at the time I kind of just took her because no one else wanted her and then also a brand new person like that's a lot for her to deal with and she actually taught me a lot about just being kind to animals in general because like we did use punishment with her just like scolding her for doing things whatever I mean cats are Mm -hmm. cats don't have that many punishment tools thankfully yeah (laughs) but (laughs) but then like she would have these like outbursts of like aggressive behaviors and then I didn't know what to do with it so we just stopped and tried something else and I would say wonder was what really brought me into positive reinforcement but saffron started that because when we started just treating her nicer in general not even really implementing any training I mean you're always training but no formal training (laughs) (laughs) yeah like I started to realize that like she's not an aggressive animal it's just because she felt defensive like she had to act that way I don't know they always have an impact and that's why we grieve it's because they were important to us and that's okay and like your analogy with the the bottle I mean it doesn't ever truly go away but it does get easier and we learn how to grow around it and send that love outward like I do and like there's so many things you can do and it's not a forever feeling, but you will still miss them all the time. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it. And I think that's really cool that it was Saffron who kind of opened that up for you, because I think probably very few people have a cat as the animal that's opened that <laughs> up for them, like, especially because like you said, cats don't have many punishment tools. So I think that's really, really cool. And I feel like a lot of people don't really focus on like behavior with cats. And like, if anything, they might just scold them for, you know, jumping on the counter or whatever. But I don't think very many people are like very focused on their cat's behavior. So that's, I think that's really cool and really unique experience that, you know, you guys had together. 
Yeah, I think so too. And very grateful that she taught me some things about animal behavior. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's really cool. I need to learn more about cat behavior because I just don't know much about cats. But yeah, can always learn a lot from really any animal. Yeah, I don't know if I have anything else to say. I mean, I could go forever about my yeah. experiences <laughs> with my animals, but yes that's yeah I mean same I guess yeah that's really all I have and yeah you know I miss you Coco (laughs) (laughs) that's a good ending